Well, good morning. Well, good morning, everyone. How many of you honestly knew that this morning is Pentecost Sunday? How many of you didn't know? Say, I did not know. How many of you did know? Say, I did know. The I did not knows have it. But this morning is Pentecostal, Pentecost Sunday all over the world. And uh, so this morning's sermon that I'm going to be bringing is based on the episode from Acts chapter 2 that is Pentecost. Now before we get there though, this Sunday is the final sermon in a sermon series entitled Rise Up. And this morning's sermon is entitled Rise Up, Filling Up, Filling Up. Now with that, what we've talked about each and every week is the following. That oftentimes in life, in order for us to rise up, almost in anything, but specifically spiritually, in order for us to rise up, it takes a person or an event to kind of get in our grill and to confront us and to get us there. And so what we're going to look at this morning is the Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, when God, by his grace, pours out his Holy Spirit People begin to speak in languages they have not learned. And on that day, and through that, the church as we know it is born. You see, Pentecost Sunday is the day on which the church was born. Now with that, and in talking about Pentecost, I would like for us in just a moment to read Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read a bunch of scripture this morning. But before we get there, what we need to know spiritually, especially through Jesus, how he sets up the day of Pentecost with his disciples. And ultimately what he does is he gives them two commands. The first command is found in Matthew 28, 19. It's familiar to many of us, specifically those of us who have a heart for missions. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says this to his disciples, therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus' parting command, the last thing he says to his disciples in the book of Matthew is this, leave, go into all the world to every nation and preach the gospel. Then in Luke 24, 56, we discover the second command. It says, Jesus told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city, stay in Jerusalem, until you have been clothed with power from on high. And then Acts chapter 1 sets up Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 1, here's what Dr. Lute writes to us. Acts 1-3. After his suffering, he, meaning Jesus, presented himself to them, meaning his disciples, and gave many convincing proof that he was alive. He appeared to them over 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And so in resurrected form, Jesus is meeting with his disciples and teaching them. Verse 4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, 
he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus brings two commands that set up the day of Pentecost. The first, go into all nations, leave Jerusalem, go to all nations, be scattered all over the world, and preach the gospel. Second command, but wait for the power and the baptism of the Holy Spirit to do it. Don't leave until you get that. And that brings us to Pentecost. The question often is, what is Pentecost? Well, the word simply means 50 or 50 days. So 50 days after Passover, God had ordained a feast that was really known as the Feast of First Fruits. It's where Jews would gather in Jerusalem and they would celebrate the beginning of the wheat harvest and offer worship to God for his grace and his provision. But you see, by the time of Jesus, the Feast of First Fruits also had in it the celebration of the giving of the law to Moses. So, in the Feast of Pentecost, Feast of First Fruits, but also the celebration of the giving of the law to Moses. And if you've ever watched the Ten Commandments on television, Charlton Heston, you know that the giving of the law to Moses, which is found in the book of Exodus, has all of these sensory rattling things that take place while Moses is on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments. The earth shakes, there's fire, there's lightning, there's sound, and everyone that was in that area around Mount Sinai began to be fixed on the mountain as God brings the law to Moses. You see, when God shows up in his authority and his power, something happens where our sensory perceptions get involved. So what we know is, that's what involves the Feast of Pentecost. Not only that, but we also know due to Acts chapter 1, there's approximately 120 men and women who are Jesus followers that have heard his command, stay in Jerusalem, go to the nations, but before you go, stay in Jerusalem, Holy Spirit will come and you'll get power. So wait. So what we then read, and we pick it up now in Acts chapter 2, begin reading in verse 1, these 120 people are in a room, they're together, and they're waiting for whatever it is Jesus has promised. Let's read. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, I want you to notice that in the upper room, verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in languages that they had never learned. Reading on, verse 5. Now, they were, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Every language that was spoken was there on the day of Pentecost as Jews had come to Jerusalem for this feast of the harvest and to commemorate the giving of the law to Moses. It says this, verse 6, when they heard this sound 
a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Reading on, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Jerusalem, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Reading on, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. So picture this. There's a crowd that is gathered because there's been this ruckus, this sound of a mighty wind. This crowd has gathered and here's what it says. Peter stood up, raised his voice, and he's speaking to the crowd. Here's what he says. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was sp spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So what Peter does on the day of Pentecost is he gets up, the Holy Spirit has fallen, people are speaking in languages they have not learned, people are hearing those languages which are their own native tongues and they're hearing these Galileans declare the wonders of God in their mother tongue. Now, he says, this is what Joel has promised. So Peter reaches back to one of the prophets in the Older Testament and says, listen, this is what God promised through Joel. And here's what's key. You see, the Holy Spirit had personally worked in people for thousands of years. But the Holy Spirit only worked intimately and personally with kings, prophets, and a few other people. But now, Joel has said there'll come a day when the Holy Spirit will be available to anyone and everyone, and it won't just be men. It's also going to be women. And we know in the upper room there were 120 people or more, and there were men and women, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. But the question has to be, why does God do what he does on the day of Pentecost? Why? Why was the church born this way on this day? We need to know this. Well, first of all, the church was born the way it was when she was on Pentecost because that's the day of commemorating the giving of the law of Moses. And up until this day, a relationship with God is based on 10 commandments that by the time of Jesus had become 613 laws. 
And so the, the commemoration, the Feast of Pentecost, the celebration of the giving of the law of Moses is the day God chooses to pour out his spirit. And what he's saying is this, from this day on, a relationship with me is not about rules, it's about the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's what this means. It means no longer look to the big 10 that become 613. Now look to the person of the Holy Spirit and he will connect you to Jesus and to God. Now why else? Why else did God do what he did on the day of Pentecost? The big question is, why give languages? Why give tongues? Why do that? Does that even make sense? Well, I want to give you three reasons. There's three reasons why God did that through the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Number one reason is simple. Language is the epicenter of relationship. You need language to have relationship. And God is a God of relationship. And so what God does on the day of Pentecost is give language. He blesses people to where they can speak a language they've never learned. And not only that, but there are people who are watching the church be born real time. And in watching the church be born, they hear languages spoken that they know the person speaking has never learned. Now picture this. Notice what happens on the day of Pentecost. This is key. They're celebrating the giving of the law of Moses. And if you watch Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments, you know a lot of fireworks happened as God gave Moses the law. Do you notice in the upper room that God reenacts the giving of the law of Moses in the upper room? The place shakes, sound of a mighty wind, and the Holy Spirit comes down and separates and rests like a flame on every person in the room. You see... The giving of the law of Moses is now being reenacted so that people will understand. Again, it's no longer the law, but it's now the Holy Spirit. But what we know is there are people there from every nation. Every nation under heaven is there. And so God gives language so that every person who knows that their mother tongue is not spoken in Galilee will know and have convincing proof that there is a God speaking to them personally and directly as he gives his Holy Spirit. And then the third reason is simply this. That in the Older Testament, there's an original command. But before I go to the original command ever given to man, I have to remind us that Jesus sets up Pentecost with two commands. Go to all the nations, preach the gospel, but wait for the power and the baptism of the Holy Spirit before you go. Those are his two commands. But there's actually an original command that you find in the Older Testament. It's the first command ever given to humankind. And in order to understand Pentecost... We have to look to the Older Testament and then work our way back to Acts chapter 2. Well, this original command is something that many people don't think about. But it's found in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. Here's what the scripture tells us. God blessed them, meaning Adam and Eve, and said to them, here's the original command. Be fruitful 
and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Original command given to man. Not only was this given to Adam and Eve, but it's repeated again after God destroys creation with the flood and Noah and his sons are there with the ark. In Genesis 9, God repeats the same command again, but this time to Noah. Genesis 9.1. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Same command given to Adam and Eve is now reenacted through Noah and his sons. Not only this, that same command now carries through all the patriarchs of the Jewish faith. We pick up the original call of Abraham in Genesis 12. And in Genesis chapter 12, the Bible tells us, verses 1 and 2, that the Lord said to Abram, who would later become Abraham, who is the father of all the Jewish faith, God says to him, go from your country, in other words, leave, be scattered, go from your country, your people, your father's household, to a land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. In other words, Abraham, if you'll follow me, you will be fruitful. You're going to multiply. You're going to fill the earth. Not only does God say that to Abraham, but he also says it to Isaac. Genesis 26, 2 through 5, the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. You see, God not only says it to Adam and Eve, not only does he say it to Noah, he says it to Abraham, to Isaac, you're going to be fruitful, multiply, you're going to fill the earth. All nations will be blessed because of you. And then God also says it to Jacob. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob is found in Genesis 35, 9 through 11. It says, after Jacob returned from Padam Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. And there's where the name of Israel comes from as God's people. And he says, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel and God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will be among your descendants. You see, God has repeated the command, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Now, how does this connect to the day of Pentecost? One way is Jesus told his disciples, start in Jerusalem, but go to all nations. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. It's his command. But there's another way that this command connects to Pentecost. And for us to truly understand what Pentecost is, we have to deal with a story that you've all heard of from the Older Testament, but you don't really know what it means. And it's the story of Babel. And so now we're going to pick up Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. This episode happens after God comes to Noah and says, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. But before he comes to Abraham and gives Abraham the covenant promise that will fulfill that. It's Genesis 11. 
And in Genesis 11, we read the account of the Tower of Babel. Here's what it says. It says, now the whole earth had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone, tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build a city, build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the whole earth. They know the command of God. God has said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And they say, we ain't doing that. So they build a city with a tower that's like a fist in the face of God. Well, God has a response as God often does. And it says this, reading on verse 5. But the Lord came to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said this, very fascinating. If one people speaking the same language and they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Verse 7. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. You notice what God says? He doesn't say, I'm going to go down and confuse their language. What does he say? That it's the Trinity. God looks at Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit and says, look, we've got a problem. They're speaking one language. They're going to be able to do whatever they want. So what God's response is, let us go down and do two things. Confuse their language. Why? So they can't understand each other. And we pick up our reading. So the Lord scattered them from all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel. Because the Lord confused the language of the whole world, from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. So before Babel, there was one language. They came out of the Ark of the Covenant, there, uh, not the Ark of the Covenant, the boat, the Ark. They came out of the Ark, and there was one language, and God comes down at the Tower of Babel, and he confuses it, and they can't understand it. And because there's confusion, in a lack of understanding, they are scattered and they fulfill God's command. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. What does God do on Pentecost? On the day of Pentecost, through Jesus and the giving of the Holy Spirit, God reclaims the Tower of Babel. And instead of language bringing confusion, now God gives language that people can now understand and they know it's him and it moves the kingdom of Jesus forward. Mission critical to understand this. That the day of Pentecost is where God through his love and his grace says before you go and are scattered over the world, all of you who follow me, your command is be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. Before you do that, you will need the power of the spirit. And God reclaims Babel, but this is cool. He doesn't give one language. He gives every single language that needed to be heard in Jerusalem on that day. Every language under heaven was heard spoken by someone who did not learn the language. Now, how do we put feet to our faith with this? What does this look like? Because here at City, we always look at Scripture and they say, practically, what does it mean? Well, it's Pentecost Sunday. 
And on Pentecost Sunday, we look at what the Holy Spirit does in and through people's lives. And here's what I know. The moment I mentioned speaking in tongues, people got freaked out. I know it. I'll tell you why. People get freaked out because oftentimes you've been in a context where someone spoke in tongues and it was weird. You know why? Because they acted weird. Truth of it is, I've been there. I've been in those services. Totally weird. Not only this, but some of us heard teaching against speaking in other tongues. We've heard teachings against it, and I'm going to capture that in just a moment, but here's what you need to know. In the latest polls, 700 million Christians speak in tongues, and the number's getting greater every year. Shocking. So now you're sitting there going, hmm, 700 million. You look to your right and go, do you do that? You look to the left, do you do that? Because we assume if someone speaks in tongues, they're going to look weird. There's going to be something odd about them. I'm going to capture that in a moment too. But oftentimes, when we've been taught against the idea of the gifts of the Holy Spirit being for today, it's taken from 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 10. Here's what Paul writes in Corinthians 13 when he's dealing with the abuses of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the church in Corinth. Here's what he writes. Love never fails. By the way, an amen goes there. Love never fails. Reading on. But where there are prophecies, they're going to cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when completion comes, what is in part disappears. And the teachings are this, that as soon as your Bible was put together, there was no longer any need for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's what's often taught. But here's what I want to say, and I want to say it very, very carefully. Whenever the Bible speaks of completeness, it always speaks of Jesus. It's not speaking about the Bible being put together. It's talking about Jesus. And so there will come a day when all of us will stand before him, and on that day, you won't need tongues. You won't need prophecy. But notice here what it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10. It says not only will prophecy cease and tongues will cease, but what else will cease? Knowledge. How many of you have had knowledge cease in your life? I mean continually, not just when you're sitting for an exam. The idea here is, listen, and I don't want to make light of it, because I know people that teach this, many of them are friends of mine, and we've talked about this. Listen, that's not what the Bible is saying. It's not what God is saying. Scripture is not the completeness that's being talked about. It's about the day of the Lord when Jesus becomes king, and all that there is is submitted to him. You won't need the gifts of the Holy Spirit, because everything will be perfect. Does that make sense? So now... Let's look very quickly at what Paul says about the gifts of the Holy Spirit as well as the idea of speaking in other tongues. 1 Corinthians 13.1 says this, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You know what that tells us? There are people who can speak in tongues that are completely unloving. And Paul's calling them out in his letter to the church of Corinth. 
Now, here's what I want to tell you. If you've gone to a wedding, you've heard this passage of Scripture read. It's the beginning of the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. And you hear that about 80% of all weddings. But you know that 1 Corinthians 13 is the middle of Paul's argument between 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 Corinthians 14 where he's talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how people are abusing them in the church of Corinth and he calls them to love in the middle of that. You understand this? So the love chapter is really about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's there. Now before I go any further, the gifts of the Holy Spirit... My mother once told me a story. This is important to know. My mother, she immigrated to North America from England on a cruise ship. And she met my father on the west coast of Canada. They fell in love, got married. But she often tells a story of she took this cruise ship and she later heard a story about someone else that took a similar cruise. And the day they were landing to get off the boat, they were talking to someone as they were getting their baggage together And the person they were getting the baggage together with was talking about how awesome the food was. The person stopped and said, wow, no kidding, huh? I brought all the food that I ate over the last two weeks on the boat, and I've been eating alone in my cabin. And the person said this to them, you didn't know that the price for the cruise included the food? And they said, nope, didn't know that. That's how a lot of Christians live. Because the Holy Spirit is available to us, but we don't partake in the things of the Spirit. We don't. And yet the Newer Testament is filled and Jesus calls us to be a group of people that have to understand the church was born with the gifts of the Holy Spirit ingrained in her. They're there from the beginning. Now, let's look at some other things that Paul has to say. He says, you can speak in tongues and not be loving. It's a gift God gives. 1 Corinthians 14, 2, 4, and 5 says this. Paul is speaking personally here, and he says, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to who? God. That fascinates me. So in other words, God can give a language where in prayer, you're actually speaking directly to God. I love that. Verse 4, and it says, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. In other words, when someone speaks in another tongue, when the 700 million people that speak in other tongues do that, it actually builds up their soul. It builds up their spiritual reality. Paul says that. Going on, he says this. Verse 5, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. And the reason why he says prophecy is because in public, in the church in Corinth, people are speaking in tongues out loud during a service, and it's causing problems. And so what Paul says is prophecy is in the language people understand. I would rather have you prophesy so that people know what you're saying instead of speaking in other tongues, which can create confusion when there's a large group of people together. Now... Reading on a little bit further, and this is where it's going to touch our hearts here in Charlottesville. 1 Corinthians 14, 14 through 15. Here's what Paul writes. He says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. What's the next line? 
but my mind is, and all the intellectuals say, I'm out. Look, I've taught on this. I taught on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues for 10 years at Princeton University. And the second people read that verse out of intellectual pride, they said, I'm out. If my brain isn't priority one, I'm out. Let me tell you a little secret. You ain't that smart. Just saying. And what God does is, and it's incredible, but God gives this gift where people can pray, and Paul recognizes that the human brain is not running this. It is a spiritual gift from God. And reading on it says, so what shall I do? Pray with my spirit, but I also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. In other words, Paul is saying you have control of this. You have control of this. Final verse, 1 Corinthians 14, 18 through 19. Here's what Paul writes. It's kind of stunning. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. Stunning, isn't it? The guy that writes the vast majority of the Newer Testament says this to you and me, that he thanks God that he speaks in tongues more than all of us. It's pretty amazing. You know, I think Paul was a type A guy and everything was a competition. And he's looking out going, I do that more than you do. No. But as you look at this, what you discover is Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all, verse 19. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Here's why. What I've discovered is, and I've been in churches where this happens, where the gifts of the Holy Spirit are being used and people speak in tongues, and when they do, it freaks people out. But what Paul's trying to do in the church of Corinth, he's so thankful that he has, they have these gifts of the Holy Spirit, and he's encouraging them to pursue them, but he's also pastoring that because it's kind of got out of hand. And in my humble opinion, I think they're trying to reenact the day of Pentecost, literally. Paul says, don't do that. What he does say is, don't forbid it either. I've been to some churches where the gifts of the Holy Spirit are forbidden. And Paul clearly says, do not forbid the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But I want to encourage you, because for some of you, you've never heard a teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit or speaking in other tongues or the Holy Spirit coming on your life in your life. This is brand new to you. Others of you have had ter te heard teachings that have contradicted what I just shared. The reason for this sermon on Pentecost Sunday is so that you can understand that it's biblical, that it starts in the Older Testament, it comes into the Newer Testament, that Jesus said it would happen, the disciples waited for it to happen, and when it happened, and it happened in a certain way, that God's kingdom advanced and that Jesus was lifted up. I want to conclude with my own story of the idea of tongues. I want to talk to you about when the Holy Spirit touched my life. Before I do that, I remember so clearly, and I was teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit at Princeton University, and there was a student who came up later. I gave the teaching similar to what I just did. And she came up to me after, and she said, you know what? She said, Pete, I have spoken in tongues since I was six years old, and I never knew what it was. She said, I was laying on my bed, and she grew up in a very, very difficult home life. 
And she had given her heart to Christ when she was young, and she was grieving because of the chaos of her world. And laying there on her bed, she said, God, I can't do this anymore. I'm, she was a little girl. I can't do this in, anymore. And in the moment, the Holy Spirit touched her, and she began to speak in a language she had not learned, and she had never told anyone she did that until she heard this teaching. She walked up to me after and said, I never knew what that was. Now I know. But she said, what I can tell you is, whenever I did that, whenever I spoke that language, I would find a strength in my spirit that I had not experienced before. It's incredible. It's incredible. Now let me share with you my own story. I was raised as a person who never went to church. Grew up on a farm. My parents didn't go to church. We didn't go. And one day... A woman who was a chain smoker and played bridge with my mother invited her to church. Well, my wife's, my mother's life was in trouble. My parents' marriage was in trouble. And my mom thought, well, I'm going. Well, being a good mother, she made us go too, me and my two older brothers. And I can remember, you got to picture this, it's like from zero to a thousand miles an hour. We had never been to church and we walk into this church and it's all hippies. And they're all coming to Jesus. And hippies were everything my dad hated, from how they wore their hair to how they viewed authority. I mean, you name it. My dad is a German. He hates hippies. And I'm there, and I'm in this setting, and all of a sudden, I'm feeling something I've never felt in my life, and it was the Holy Spirit. Never had experienced the Holy Spirit. And I'm sitting there in that context, and as the Holy Spirit begins to move, these men and women, their lives are being radically transformed. It was in that context, for the first time ever, I heard someone speak in tongues. Full confession, it freaked me out. But you know what freaked me out even more? This person was deaf. They had a hundred voice deaf choir. And this person was totally deaf. When they spoke, their speech was slurred all the time. And when the Holy Spirit touched this person and they spoke in other tongues, they spoke a fluent language that was clearly articulated. And as a preteen boy, I sat there and went, that's real. That cannot be faked, can't be faked. The other thing is, is that from there, I wrestled with this whole idea of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit being that personal and that intimate. So it was a couple of years later, I was at a time where there was prayer and the Holy Spirit was moving, that I found myself begin to speak in a new language as the Holy Spirit came on me. I don't know how to explain it other than that. I didn't jump around, I didn't do cartwheels, I didn't swing from the chandeliers, I didn't do all the stuff that's assimilated with that, but what I clearly knew was God had given me a language and as I began to pray in that language, I felt my spirit being edified. I have friends sitting here, you've known me for 20 years and you never knew I spoke in tongues. You never knew it, now you do. But notice I don't have horns coming out of my head. When we were fishing together, when we went to sports together, whatever it is, there's nothing that makes anyone weird. What it does do is make you more like Jesus. That's what I know, at least that's what I've experienced, and that what's, that's what the scriptures say. My wife, when she spoke in tongues for the first time, when the Holy Spirit touched her, she was kneeling 
by her bed in her bedroom. She had heard teachings just like this. And she knelt down all alone. She began to pray. The Holy Spirit touched her. And she spoke in a new language. And ever since then, in private, that's been utilized to edify her soul and to strengthen her. There are hundreds of people that are a part of City that have had a similar experience. Some of us, though, we're kind of looking over the wall at this thing and maybe for the first time. What I want to encourage you to do, I want to encourage you just to know this, that it's biblical. Jesus talked about it. The Apostle Paul talks about it. The Holy Spirit offers these gifts to us. And it's not something that's going to make you creepy weird. It isn't. It's a gift that God gives us. Because in the world in which we live, it's broken. People are hurting. We need strength for our souls. And we need to be edified. And the final thought is this. I have clearly sensed for years that that language that you speak, as Paul said, is speaking directly to God. It's a way to communicate to God where the human mind doesn't get in the way. It's an incredible thing. But again, people who speak in other tongues aren't all weirdos. But I want to apologize for God to you if you've been in a context where they were. That's what Paul is coming against in 1 Corinthians 11, 12, and 13, and 14. That's what he's trying to come against. But I want to apologize for the church if you've experienced that. And tell you this, that won't happen here. But I do say this, that the Holy Spirit's here. And some of you know that you need this type of a thing. You know that God's speaking to you and the Holy Spirit's working on you. It's very simple. It's an openness to who God is and who the Holy Spirit is. Don't take the Christian life like the woman on the cruise ship who never knows what's available to her and never takes advantage of it. What we're going to do now is Stephen's going to come and lead us in worship. And as he does, I'm going to ask that you would remain seated, that you close your eyes, you'd be open to the presence of God. That's what I'm going to ask you to do. Literally remain seated. And in this moment, for some of us, we're going to have to process through the teaching. Do that in your spirit. For others of us, you're at the point to where maybe God would touch you this morning. Maybe God will touch you later. Maybe God will touch you at some point over the next few years. But know this, what we've talked about this morning is biblical. It's available. Same spirit that did it 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost is the same spirit that's here today on this day of Pentecost.